Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of murder, mystery, and mayhem. Today is a bonus episode we call Toe Tag. It's the first chapter of a fresh release in the mystery, crime, or thriller genre. Today's featured release is See You Next Tuesday by Ken Harris. And actually, you're going to get a double bonus because Ken gave us a prologue, and so we're going to do both the prologue and the first chapter. Prologue. Reconnecting. Showbiz Now, the number one source for entertainment news, Elon Musk crushes the competition with Nicola TV's first blockbuster series. The Pine Barren Stratagem, second only to Disney's The Mandalorian in pandemic streaming sessions by Timmy Gallagher, TV Reporter, October 11, 2021, at Reporter hyphen Twitter slash IG. In what one would call the strongest streaming launch for both the new service and its premiere show, Nicola TV and The Pine Barren Stratagem have captivated housebound Americans as COVID-19's third wave spreads. As of September, 45 million Americans have signed up and binge-watched. The true crime docuseries follows a private eye as he tries to uncover the truths behind murder and child trafficking in rural southern New Jersey during the 1940s. Through the investigation, he meets the great-granddaughter of a policeman who went missing investigating the original crimes. Together, they map out the criminal organization that stretched from the local police to the mafia and over the Catholic Church. This alliance spanned 75 years and regrouped during the pandemic to upgrade their illicit activities to include defrauding the federal government's Paycheck Protection Program. Like all of his endeavors, Musk's announcement last year that he would launch his own streaming service to compete with Netflix, Hulu, and Disney Plus was met with skepticism. But much like Tesla, Starlink, and SpaceX, it's Elon having the last laugh. The minute Angel, Angel Davenport laid out the storyline to me, I was instantly sold and knew that most of America would be too, Musk said. This type of true crime, innovative storytelling is exactly how I wanted to launch Nicola TV. I owe it all to Angel. I only provided him the stage to showcase his creation. The creative mind behind the Pine Barren stratagem, Angel Davenport, previously worked as a podcast producer for All Things True Crime Podcast Network before a chance meeting with Elon Musk sent his career on a SpaceX-type trajectory. Elon got it right from the start, and that was something I hadn't run into trying to promote and sell this series to other streaming networks. His hands-off approach and full faith in myself and the team gave us the independent creative space needed to bring this true story to life. I'd also like to thank Steve Rockfish and Johnny McGee because without their investigative tenacity, these crimes would never have come to light and justice not served. Rockfish and McGee are dealing with their newfound celebrity and fame the best they can as they continue to operate their joint private venture endeavor in Linthicum Heights, Maryland. 
When asked during a press junket in support of the season finale, Rockfish had this to say about how their day-to-day -day operations have changed. I have to tell you, things couldn't be better. The success of this show has brought new business opportunities and our phone rings off the hook. Each caller wants a famous private detective to help them with their unique problem, but the influx of income from the network and the new clients allows us to be more selective. Potential clients now pitch to us on why we should take their case. The merchandise side is something we're getting used to, a Hot Wheels version of Lana and a Junior Johnny detective kit for your inquisitive middle schooler or underachieving sophomore are a few clicks away on our website. Touching on his partner's impact and how he conducts business, Johnny's absolutely great. She's currently studying for her private investigator's final exam and I've felt the impact on day-to-day -day operations since she came on board. She's brought me into the 21st century with a small business network, new computers, and the long-term goal of digitizing all of my old case files. No more colored pencils and 3x5 index cards for me. As 2021 draws to a close, life for the private investigators is good. Business is even better. Chapter 1. This is Steve Rockfish. At the tone, leave your name and message, and I'll get back to you. Beep. Stevie, you probably want to update this outgoing message since you've taken on a partner and... Rockfish recognized his father's voice and cringed. Yeah, why haven't we changed the outgoing message yet, Johnny said. Even your dad noticed it's less than partnery. Steve Rockfish and Johnny McGee sat in the open area that each preferred to their own private small offices. The partners had soon recognized that the space led to better collaboration. A large sofa, two recliners, and a small conference table facing a retractable screen for presentations filled the space. The sofa was a sleeper for those late nights when a case or one too many Jamesons kept Rockfish overnight partially stocked bar lined the wall behind the recliners with a small refrigerator for cold drinks and DoorDash leftovers. Rockfish sat in one recliner with his after-hours decompression Irish whiskey in hand. Johnny took up her normal spot on the couch, her ever-present laptop open. The meeting had become a reoccurring routine on Thursday evenings after one of them locked the door and flipped the sign to close. This time was best used for strategizing on pending cases and brainstorming to confirm neither had overlooked any minor detail. Last, they would discuss potential clients and any administrative housekeeping issues. The first item on this evening's agenda was slightly different. The state board notified Johnny two weeks prior that she had passed her final exam and was now Rockfish's peer, at least on paper. It would take some more convincing and a ton of field work to make him admit it out loud. Tonight was the first time either of them had had time to stop, take a breath, and celebrate. Business had been that good. He walked out from behind the bar with two rocks glasses and a bottle of Frene Brut Cordon Negro. Don't give me any of that shit. I like it. And Costco sells it for something like 15 and change for a two pack, he said. 
although I dropped the ball. The engraved flutes I ordered from Things Remembered over at the mall to mark the occasion, well, they're still in transit. Rockfish shrugged his shoulders and handed Johnny a glass. He poured like he was a pro. The bubbles stopped at the rim. Let me guess, you're going to blame our yet-to-be-hired receptionist, Johnny said and grinned. They laughed and clinked glasses. Rockfish didn't have a way with words, unless he was trying to sweet-talk some information out of someone or avoid a solid punch to the nose. He kept his words short for this occasion and drained his glass before speaking. Welcome to the team, officially, I mean. It's not like you've been sitting around here with your nose in the textbook studying for the exam. Your ideas, technology, and thinking outside the box have really helped us out around here and, as important, how I look at things. I'm not sure what that whole outside the box thing is all about, but Max said it would be a good thing to say. Johnny smiled and lifted her glass again. Here's to things staying as smooth sailing as they are now. Amen. Now let me top off your drink before we get started. This shit goes straight to my head. Rockfish filled Johnny's glass, replaced the bottle on the coffee table in front of the sofa, and picked his whiskey back up. Wait, and sipping whiskey doesn't? Johnny said with a shake of her head. Look, I don't tell you how to vegan, and you don't tell me how to unwind. I thought we had an agreement, Rockfish said with a coy smile. Okay, back to the grind. I've only got one case I need to update on. Donnelly. We know he went missing the evening of the 14th. Have you figured out where he went after he left work? I talked to a few co-workers and got bupkissed, Johnny said. What? Nothing, she said, and took a sip of champagne before continuing. I followed a few of them last Friday to a bar three blocks over from their office. Then I laid my, on my womanly charms, batted a few eyelashes. You know, the usual. Rockfish rolled his eyes. Ha! Anne Arundel County's first black hipster lesbian P.I. was a lot of things, but she wasn't a flirt. If the planets had a line that night and she wasn't working, Rockfish bet she would have walked out of that place with a broad under each arm, if only to piss off the regulars. Finally, one opened up, Johnny continued. A guy named Tommy James sidled up to the chair next to mine. We had some talk. Hello. So as you can tell, it cut out for some reason. Who knows why? No one ever knows why. I'm not going to explain it again. I've already recorded this part once and we had to delete it because T.G. Wolf didn't know what part we stopped at. So you had to go <laughs> redo the little area. So, oh, whatever. Point is, is that it cut out and we're doing it again. The part that it cut out. All right, let's let's go. And 20 bucks if you can figure out what song I ripped my chord progression off from. <laughs> you're never going to find out. And if you do, you can't sue because you're never going to find out. Okay, bye. <laughs> Finally, one opened up. A guy named Tommy James sidled up to the chair next to mine. We had some small talk. I gave him a fake number and yada yada. He told me Donnelly and a bunch of his co-workers went to Moe's Tavern last evening. The last any of them saw of Donnelly, he was at the last call when he was leaving with some redhead with giant boobs. She was holding him up as they left. A regular hookup of his? Rockfish wondered out loud. Doesn't seem to be, at least according to Tommy, Johnny said. I went down to Moe's and talked to the bartender. 
He remembers them, but swears it was the first night he'd seen her in the place, and she hasn't been back since. There's a camera out front, and he said he'd seen some he'd have someone see if there were a few decent frames of them leaving or her walking in that evening. I told him there's 200 in it for him if he can get us some decent footage. I can call my buddy Decker over at Baltimore PD and see if her description matches any of the other cases they have of John's being rolled, Rockfish said. We might get lucky if this is her usual M.O. Or maybe Donnelly's sitting on a beach somewhere with the new love of his life, forgot to call his kids and let them know of his change of plans. Speaking of which, Rockfish stood up and placed his glass on the table. He reached over and grabbed the small, tactical binoculars from the bar before walking towards the front door. Checking on our friend, Johnny said. Yep, Rockfish said, and shook the binoculars in his hand. Best $400 you ever made me spend. He stopped at the large floor-to-ceiling windows that ran the length of the storefront. Rockfish parted two of the slats in the blinds and looked through the binoculars, past the parking lot, and into the strip mall across the street. The yellow Nissan Xterra sat in its normal parking spot. The rusted front bumper guard was a dead giveaway, as was the very attractive young woman that sat behind the wheel. She back, Johnny said. Yeah, sitting in the same spot, staring at her phone. It's amateur hour out there. She's not even trying to be discreet. Rockfish turned and walked back to his recliner, but stood behind it, his forearms resting on the back. He dropped the binoculars onto the padded seat and contemplated the next move. If I was back working out of the trailer, I would have grabbed a bat and put the fear of God into whoever she was. But now, I've got a partner to consider, and the last thing I want to do is something stupid and scare away future business. Not to mention, there ain't a damn thing illegal about sitting in a parking spot, no matter how many consecutive days. Three out of four work days this week, Johnny said. Rockfish snapped his head around. They were partners for less than a year, not an old married couple, but somehow she continued to finish his thoughts. And not like with those blinds, you can't see shit, Johnny added. You sure she's not a disgruntled old client or a girlfriend? Please, Rockfish said. You sure she ain't one of yours? Rockfish said. Johnny wrinkled her nose and shook her head. She still couldn't take as well as she gave. Rockfish laughed out loud. She isn't breaking any laws and I'm damn tired of this game. Maybe Decker can get a uniform patrol to drive past and see what she's up to. Works for me, Johnny replied. But in the meantime, I suggest not biking in until we can find out who and what this is all about. I can pick you up and drop you off. Hmm. If you paid attention to half of the things I say, you know that I got a car. I bought it a month ago, parked at the condo. Lord, it's not one of those boxy scions again, is it? Rockfish said. No, I went the safer route this time. Subaru Outback. Well, color me surprised. Still, I'll drop you off tonight. Aye, aye, Captain. Do you have another bottle of this fancy smancy champagne? One or three more for, more for the road won't hurt, as I'm not operating any heavy machinery. Plus, we still have to... The opening notes of Rod Zombie's Thunder Kiss 65 filled the space as Rockfish reached for his cell. Uh, yeah, I'll be there in 20, he said into his phone and cut the call short. Who's pooping on our party? Johnny said, refilling her glass. 
Max at St. Luke's. Izzy thinks Dad had a heart attack. Rockfish pulled into St. Luke's emergency room parking lot at 18 minutes and 45 second mark and found a parking space beneath the light pole. He made a good time with Lana's Hemi, rocketing him through a couple of intersections with questionable yellow lights. Christ, I hope the county had gotten around to installing those red light cameras. Rockfish cut the engine and grabbed his mask before climbing out of the car. The DMV fines didn't worry him anymore. It was the points on his license. He shook his head. I've got bigger things to think about. He glanced back over his shoulder at the lamppost. The small square sign read A13. He pulled out a cell phone and opened the notes app. Parked under the light in A13, he wrote, and then gave silent thanks to Johnny for that nugget of tech insight. He jogged along the lighted pathway toward the giant neon sign that flashed, emergency room. Rockfish spotted Iggy before he entered the ER. The old man paced back and forth inside the sliding glass doors while nervously rubbing his temples. Iggy wore a pair of overalls a size too big for his thin frame and a John Deere trucker cap that had seen better days. Rockfish was familiar with Iggy's retirement uniform of choice. The blue disposable mask rested just under the old man's nose. Why am I not shocked that Iggy's a believer in the great hoax? Iggy Toski had worked overnights at the mobile oil refinery coker plant alongside Mac for as long as Rockfish could remember. The friends retired a year apart and were inseparable, as their standing daily lunch date showed. They fished during the day and at night watched the Orioles or John Wayne movies in the off-season. Iggy had been a part of the family and was the uncle Rockfish never had. Stevie! Stevie, Iggy called out as Rockfish entered their waiting room. You made it! Rockfish walked over and grabbed Iggy by the elbow before the old man continued to wear a path on the carpet. They embraced and Rockfish noted that, up close, Iggy looked like death warmed over. The bags under his eyes had doubled in size since the last time they spoke. Rockfish took his, Rockfish took his hand off the elbow and laid his arm around Iggy's waist. He fully expected Iggy's legs to go out from underneath them in the next couple of seconds. Let's get you in a seat before you have a freaking heart attack too, Rockfish said. He guided Iggy towards two unoccupied chairs on the far side of the room, away from the blaring television. He didn't want to constantly shout over the Flex Seal infomercial. Rockfish helped lower Iggy into the chair and then sat behind him. He looks a goddamn mess, he thought. How the hell am I supposed to get anything out of him? Rockfish glanced over and saw that the admissions desk was vacant. Okay, Iggy, you're my best shot at the moment. Look, Iggy, I need you to take a deep breath, pull that mask up over your nose, and tell me what happened. Rockfish placed his hand on Iggy's shoulder. You need a glass of water? No, no, I'm fine, Stevie, Iggy replied and pulled the mask to cover his nose. They moved Mac up to a room on the fourth floor. They're done running tests, and the nurse said she'd come get me when he settled and can have a visitor. They haven't told me yet what any of the tests showed. Well, I'm his goddamn son, and I'm not a visitor, so I need you to tell me how the hell this happened, and then I'm going to find a nurse to take me up there. Stat. Iggy didn't say a word, but his chin dropped to his chest. Rockfish ran his left hand through his hair. The fuck was this guy hiding? 
Iggy, Mac's gonna be okay. He's strong as a bull. But the two of you aren't spring chickens. Were you moving that damn washing machine out of the house like I told you not to? Iggy glanced up and shook his head. Mac's been under a lot of pressure lately. We all have. I know he's been meaning to talk to you about it, but you know. Steve! Welcome back to the third cut. So we kind of lied. To, I don't think you have to do an introduction. I think yes, we, we do. It, it were, what? It's, there, nobody's going to notice how we're going. St- Steve? You know? No. No, it's obvious, Ma. We can't, can't leave it. I have to explain it. So this is clearly mostly live. It's all live. It is life as we know it. Okay. Goodbye. Start, start playing. Rockfish swiveled his head, first to the still empty admissions desk and then 180 degrees to the entrance. Johnny moved across the floor towards him with an obvious takeout container in hand. He stood up and met her halfway. What are you doing here? I told you to go home. I got this, Rockfish said. She hadn't changed clothes, and he assumed she came straight from the office. A full partner of a couple weeks and already blowing off my orders. How's Mac doing? Johnny said. Here, I grabbed dinner for you on the way over. She pressed the styrofoam box to his chest, and Rockfish reluctantly took it. I haven't seen him yet, he said. No one is around to tell me anything. Iggy said they were taking him up to a room and we have to wait. The old guy doesn't look too good, but I'm trying to pull out of him what the hell happened. But he's stammering and not saying much. Maybe he's traumatized too. I don't know. Did I mention that there hasn't been a goddamn person at that admission desk since I got here? Is that Iggy, Johnny said? She pointed across her chest at the pair of coveralls slipping past the sliding glass door before they closed. Iggy, Rockfish said, and took a step toward the exit. Johnny grabbed Rockfish by the arm. Let him go. You said he was acting strange. Everyone handles the stuff differently. Plus, you're here for Mac. If there's a story to be told, let your dad tell it. She loosened her grip. I can only imagine you going up to your dad's room all accusatory and shit. For his sake, stop and take a breath. You need to be in receive mode, at least until you know what's going on. Rockfish knew it was the right course of action, but too many years of operating solo and flying off the handle at every cockeyed situation, well, it was a hard habit to break. He moved back to his chair and Johnny sat in Iggy's vacated spot. You said no one's helped you yet? Do you want me to put on my best Karen face and find a manager? Because I can do that. Thanks, but Johnny, you didn't have to come here. Risk driving over here, Rockfish said. I took an Uber, Grandpa. We're a team, remember? I do, Rockfish said. But that team runs a company. Look, I don't know what's up with Mac or how long he'll be in this place, but I'm not planning on leaving aside until he's home. And I've got, uh, I should say, you now have a 10 o'clock with Claudia Coyne tomorrow. I didn't see it on the office calendar, Johnny said. I might have forgotten to put it on the computer. Rockfish watched Johnny raise her eyebrows and purse her lips over his answer. To her credit, she didn't lecture him, and he was thankful. All right, what do I have to know, Johnny said. Claudia Coyne is married to some rich son of a bitch that's stepping out on her. Simple pre-divorce case. Follow the guy, get some pictures, bing, bang, boom, get paid. That's it? That's it. You got this, Rockfish said. 
You don't me sitting, need me sitting at the conference table with you. I know you are more than ready. Shit, you were ready months ago. Hit me up on my cell if anything goes sideways, and I'll let you know what's happening here when I finally figure it out. They made small talk for another few minutes before Rockfish could convince Johnny that he'd be okay, and she needed to head home with the takeout he forced back on her. A nurse emerged 10 minutes later and called out for a Mr. Toski. An orderly led Rockfish up to the fourth floor, and they followed the winding red line on the ground through half a dozen hallways before stopping in front of room 4127. The hallway lights were dim, but Rockfish chalked that up to the night shift. What night shift? The nurse's station was as vacant as admissions. This place had the most patient attentive employees in the world, or I'm walking straight into the set of Halloween 2. He took a deep breath and pushed the heavy door. Hey, occupied, someone on the other side said. Rockfish leaned forward and peeked around the door. A nurse met his gaze. She stood next to a wall-mounted automatic sanitizer dispenser, dressed in maroon scrubs and a pair of small reading glasses perched on her nose. Evening, ma'am, he said. Sorry about that. Not your fault, she said. There's a lot of thought placed in these things when, they, when the corona hit last year. Previously, there was one unit inside each room, but the board of directors went with the more is better approach, and now I have a left arm that bruises from all the doors. Can I come in, Rockfish said, still peeking around the corner. Max, my father. I'm Steve Rockfish. Nurse Packer, she said. Nice to meet you. If you don't mind, we can step back into the hallway and I'll catch you up. He's finally asleep and I'd rather not disturb him. He needs his rest. Oh, God. How bad? Fish followed Nurse Packer, Rockfish followed Nurse Packer down the hall to a small alcove where there was some privacy. Mr. Rockfish, is this okay with you? Nurse Packer said, or would you like to go somewhere you can sit? I've been on my butt for the past hour downstairs. I'm good standing. Nurse Packer recounted the events that led to Max's admittance and how a barrage of tests since then had led to a diagnosis. Rockfish hung on each word she spoke. He listened, unlike client meetings where he'd drift off and quickly find himself on the back of a buddy's boat catching an imaginary 20-pound bluefish. Non-cardiac chest pain, Rockfish said. You're sure of that? His fingers went straight to his temple and he shook his head. Your father's heart is healthy, as it can be for his age. His problem is with his blood pressure and some severe gastroesophageal reflux disease. Has he suffered a close friend a loss lately? No, Rockfish said, unless he's got a secret family he hasn't told me about. Can you give him some Tums and I take him home? It's more complicated than that, she said, although I expect they'll keep him here tomorrow for observation. You need to understand that there is something eating at your father, Nurse Packer said. Stress, anxiety, and depression, he's got all the symptoms. At his age, this could be as detrimental as a heart attack. Tom's won't solve the issue. But in the words of my granddaughter, he needs to take a chill pill. Obviously, Rockfish said. Um, look, Mr. Rockfish, someone will be around in the morning to talk to you regarding counseling and other options. But until then, he needs to rest. What I gave him will keep him down for four to six hours. And looking at you, I recommend you go home and get some rest. Come back in the morning. These types of things are hereditary. 
Rockfish looked at Nurse Packer. He wasn't sure if she was bullshitting him to get him out of the way for the rest of her shift, or as a health professional, she was truly concerned. God damn it, Dad. I need this like I need a hole in the head. First male pattern baldness and now this? All the same to you, ma'am. I'm going to pull up a chair and contemplate my life's choices until he wakes up. Your choice, Mr. Rockfish. You'll need to keep the mask on at all times in this ward, even if you're vaccinated. If you need anything, please ring the call button and I'll get down to the room as soon as I can. Or else I'll be back in at 3 to check his vitals. Oh, and coffee is behind the nurse's station. Starbucks in the main lobby doesn't open till 8 a.m. I will. I am, and thank you a ton for taking good care of him, Rockfish said. I'll follow you back to grab a cup before I hunker down. A few minutes later, Rockfish pulled the small recliner closer to the hospital bed and balanced the styrofoam cup on his arm. Mac looked peaceful, despite the weight of the world on his shoulder speech Nurse Packer relayed. Christ, Dad, what has been going on? Life ain't been better for us. What could you be hiding? He dropped his head into his hands. Come on, Rockfish, think. What could it be? What did you miss? More than likely, the answer was nothing. Like father, like son, Mac had never been a touchy-feely emotional type, and after Betty's death, he had raised his son the same way. Bury your feelings deep inside and don't let anyone in, ever, unless you got a dog. It had been quite a few years since Mac had a Ford-like buddy. I'm a licensed professional investigator, for Christ's sake. I should be able to put this together and come up with an answer. But tonight, Rockfish had nothing to work with. Not one clue, and the only witness had fled the ER at the first opportunity. Rockfish stopped and realized he was rubbing his temples again. Must be some sort of world record. His dad worried him. This wasn't like Mac. At all. The hours and cups of garbage coffee ticked by, and Rockfish was never within reach of an answer. He found the recliner comfortable enough that he dozed off a few times, only to wake up at the last instant before knocking the coffee cup to the floor. That caffeine and the small wall light behind Mac's bed were no help. A few minutes later, he finally succumbed, and the empty cup skidded across the floor. A little past 2 a.m., Rockfish snapped to attention. Stevie, is that you? Mac's voice was weak, but it pierced Rockfish's subconscious and brought him back to the land of the living. Yeah, Dad, it's me. Take it easy. Don't sit up. We're all good here, Rockfish said. He shook his head to clear the cobwebs. Can you get me some of that ice water out of the pitcher? The cups are, are right next to it on that wheelie table over there. Rockfish stood up and walked across the room. He poured a small cup of water and pulled the table over to the bed so Mac had somewhere to rest his cup. Rockfish sat back down and glanced at his phone. 2.45 a.m. Nurse Ratchet will be in to ruin the reunion episodes shortly. I told Iggy not to call you, Mac said, his voice sounding a little stronger. The water had lubricated his vocal cords to some extent. There was fight left in the old man, but it was the wrong time for a great I told you so Iggy debate. Dad, you went to the hospital under the guise of a heart attack. Do you really think he would listen? Look, this is not the place for this. The nurse will be in here in a few to check your vitals. You want to go home at some point, right? Yes, Mac replied. Well then, we need to show her you're calm, cool, and collected. I'll explain later. 
They made small talk, dominated by the Orioles' spring training success, and each differed on if the momentum would carry into the regular season, until the nurse finished with the blood pressure cuff. She walked over to Rockfish's chair and leaned over. Please don't keep him up any longer. He really needs his rest. Scout's honor, Rockfish said. I'm only going to sit here till he drifts back off. The door hadn't closed completely when Max spoke up. Son, I gotta come clean with you. Dad, whatever it is, it can wait. You heard the lady. If you don't go back to sleep, she's going to give you something to force the issue. Let's try to stay focused on you following the rules to get discharged in a timely manner. As comfortable as this chair is, I got a business to run. Fuck him. I should have told him a month ago. Give me ten minutes so your old man can unburden himself. Do that for me? Nurse said they would come set you up with a counselor for that, Rockfish said. We could always check with Father McMurphy if you don't like the counselor. Shut up and listen, son. This is between us. Keeping it in, hiding it away from you is the problem. I done fucked up. Iggy met this really nice gal. Pretty young thing and she had some investment deals going on. He said he made a huge return with her and well, if he trusted her, I thought it was okay. I wanted to earn my keep around the house. Pretty little thing, huh? Rockfish said, noticing the volume and strength returning to Max's voice with each word. Yeah, reminded me of your mom, the way she wore her hair. How much did you lose, Dad? Be honest. 17,000, give or take. If I ever come across them again, I'll shoot every one of the bastards. Mark my words. Dad, you were in the Navy. They don't teach you how to shoot on a boat. Don't make me take that rifle away from you. Let's calm down and think reasonably here. Rockfish ground his back teeth and made sure Mac couldn't read an ounce of emotion on his face. His fingers dug into the armchair. He wants to hunt him down and shoot him for Christ's sake? After a couple of seconds, Rockfish stood up and moved closer to the bed. He reached out and touched Mac's arm. It's going to be okay, he said. I'm going to get it back for you. You have my word. Now give me a second, will you? I got to use the head and get a refill on this coffee. I'll be back in a sec. Close your eyes and practice. Think happy thoughts. I ain't going nowhere, he, Max said. 20 bucks, he dies, he dies, 20 bucks as he dies. Okay, <laughs> bye. <laughs> Rockfish forced a smile and walked out of the door into the hallway. He kept going past the nurse's station and took the elevator down to the first floor. He exited out of the only doors open at that hour, and after looking around to make sure he was alone, he punched a brick wall until his hand bled. The sun crept over the horizon as Johnny crossed the parking lot and unlocked the office door. Her hand shook, and it took a second for the key to slide in. She stepped into the office space, glanced around, and waited for the automatic lights to activate. The last step in, the last step in opening was to disarm the security system. Opening was old hat to Johnny. Most days, she was the first in the office, with Rockfish bringing up the rear after stopping at McDonald's drive-thru for breakfast. Today was different. It's all me today. Johnny took a quick run around the client area and straightened up. She looked in all directions and admired her handiwork as her hand subconsciously moved to her abdomen. She dressed to kill for her first solo client meeting. Her mind told her she was ready to ace this test. But like her hands a few minutes ago, her gut told her a different story. 
Johnny had skipped breakfast at her condo, and she wasn't 100% sure it would stay down. She knew it was nerves, knew she would overcome the anxiety, sign the client, and Rockfish would give her an attaboy. But someone needed to convince the pit of her stomach. Johnny's plan was to ignore it, knowing it would dissipate as the meeting went on. By lunch, she would laugh about it. Now, though, she needed to stay busy. In her office, she turned on the computer. She owed it to herself to read the background information in order to prepare for the meeting with Mrs. Coyne. But first, she needed to check in with Rockfish. She picked up the office phone, but changed her mind to a less intrusive text message. I don't want to bother him if he's at home trying to catch up on sleep or still with Mac, so a quick note to let him know I'm thinking about him. Johnny hit send and turned her attention to the coin file. She had two hours before the meeting. Her mouse moved across the screen and checked any folder Rockfish could have saved the information to, since it didn't appear to be in the potential client directory. Shit, she said, but it didn't surprise her. Her brow furrowed as she reviewed the files created over the past week to see if she screwed up in the naming convention. She came up empty. Those borderline boomers, Gen Xers are the worst. I created this system for it. I went over this system with it, and it's still like pulling teeth to get him to buy in. Johnny got up from her desk and walked across the hall to Rockfish's office. He had closed the door and she respected his privacy, but his screw-up now constituted an emergency on her part. She tried the knob, and the door swung open. She stepped in and the overhead light illuminated the small space. The offices were bare bones and the desk immaculate. A large calendar blotter took up most of the surface area, with the only other items being a number four pencil and a computer monitor. Before searching the desk, she noted she looked at the floor and located the remote to turn off the television on the wall. Johnny shook her head and, in the back of her mind, she wondered if she was a partner or transitioning to a caretaker. She sat down and looked at the blotter. Seems like a logical starting point. If he couldn't be bothered to enter the appointment in the shared office calendar, it has to be somewhere around here. Her eyes went immediately to Friday, March 18th, and the pencil scribbling gave her an answer and cranked up her anxiety at the same time. She wouldn't need two hours to prepare. Claudia Coyne, 10.30 a.m., husband banging unsub. With time to kill, Johnny looked down at her phone. The text to Rockfish was still marked delivered. 10.30, 11 a.m., and 11.30 came and went without Claudia Coyne gracing Rockfish and McGee, investigative specialist, with her presence. Johnny reminded herself the wealthy ran on their own time, and as the clock inched closer to noon, she felt as if she could keep down some food. She had closed her desk drawer when the phone in her pocket vibrated. The alert signaled that someone had walked through the front door. Johnny put down the small bag of vegan sweet potato puffs and walked around the corner to the front. A woman stood a few feet inside the door. Johnny's first reaction was to wonder if Cruella DeVille and and Divine had had a baby and the child grew up to marry into the wealthy coin family. The woman looked as if she had DNA from each fictional parent fought for dominance daily. Hello, Mrs. Coyne. I'm... Yes, dear, can you please get me a Pellegrino mineral water and watch Pookie for me? Mrs. Coyne handed over the teacup Maltese and walked towards the rear of the client area. She stopped and looked back over her shoulder at Johnny. And let Mr. Rockfish know I've arrived and I'm ready to meet with him. Johnny took a breath and enjoyed Pookie's kisses for a minute before putting on her partner hat. 
By the way, I'm Johnny McGee, the McGee in Rockfish and McGee. Mr. Rockfish is unavailable this morning because of a family emergency. I'll be handling your case. And if you have issues with me or perceive my lack of what you think of a hard-nosed PI looks, uh, you're free to go elsewhere. And if you're going to have a dog this small, you might as well have purchased a cat. Johnny returned Pookie to Mrs. Coyne, and the woman looked back, aghast. She's on the ropes, Johnny continued. If you think enough of Steve Rockfish to give him your business, don't assume he would half-ass the selection of his only partner, TKO. Rockfish would be proud. Shall we, Johnny said. She led the stunned Mrs. Coyne over to the conference table. Once seated, Johnny broke the ice with small talk until she felt Mrs. Coyne appear to relax and had moved past her earlier faux pas. Johnny then opened her laptop to take notes. You think Mr. Coyne, Roan, his name is Roan, and I'm Claudia. I think we're past the point of formalities. Also, before we dive into specifics, I want to make you aware that Mr. Rockfish has already discussed his... Johnny cleared her throat and smiled. The daily rate and expenses with me. I have no objections that concur with your billing cycle and upfront retainer. Excellent, Johnny said. Our meeting is because you presume. I know, Claudia said, cutting her off. Understandable, Johnny said, after another deep breath. You know Rowan is cheating, and you've come to this conclusion from a change in pattern of his behavior, Claudia said. For the past six weeks, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, he has not come home till well after 10 o'clock. The other three days a week, he's through the door no later than 6.30. His excuses are paper thin, although I have not punched holes in them because of a rather fragile male ego. Johnny met Claudia's eyes and nodded. She didn't know about the male ego from experience, but a few of her girlfriends like to vent occasionally. My forensic accountant discovered a connection between these tired excuses and Kath withdrawals from a previously unknown savings account, Claudia said. How much are these withdrawals for? I'd rather not say. If I could get the contact information for your forensic accountant, Johnny said, a brief conversation with him could benefit my investigation. Johnny bit her lower lip. She knew the answer before Claudia spoke. My dear, you do not need to know anything about my finances other than I can and will compensate you for a job well done. Follow him and you'll find the slut. It's all I ask of you and your firm. Claudia tapped the ta table with her index finger with each spoken word. Be at his office this coming Tuesday night and follow at a safe distance. Provide me the harlot's name and address the following morning and I'll pay the rest of your fee. Okay, Johnny said. She was a proponent of having as much information as possible, but from this meeting, she knew she'd be working with bare minimum. Bing, bang, boom, get paid. My ass. Can you share with me the company and address for Rowan's employment, not to mention the make and model of his car? He's the executive vice president over acquisitions and mergers, Claudia said, at Wilhelm, Geikob, and Stadelmeyer. They've got a building downtown off South Gay Street. His car? It's a blue something or other. I don't know cars. I have a driver. Claudia knew that with each answer, Johnny knew that the answer Claudia had reached the end of her cooperation time. Best to get her moving, she thought. Well, Claudia, I apologize for taking up too much of your time this afternoon. This predicament sounds rather cut and dry. This coming Tuesday, 
I'll follow him and report back to you on what I find. Who you find, Claudia said. I want the tart's name and address, remember? With that, Claudia stood up, stuffed Pookie under her arm, and headed for the door. Not a goodbye, good luck, or good riddance, and Johnny was okay with that. She closed the laptop and unlocked her cell. The notification for the earlier text had changed from delivered to read. Progress. Okay. That was a pretty long first chapter, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Well, let me give you a little bit more here. Okay. So about Ken Harris. Uh, Ken retired from the FBI after 32 years as a cybersecurity executive. With over three decades writing intelligence products for senior government officials, Ken provides unique perspectives on the conventional fast-paced crime thriller. I totally agree with what he wrote there. He is the author of From the Case Files of Steve Rockfish series, which include The Pine Barren Stratagem and the sequel, which is what I just read part of for you. See you next Tuesday. He spends his day with his wife, Nick. Nicolita and their two Labradors, Shady and, oh boy, his dogs have hard names, uh, Chalupa Batman. Oh, I guess that's not hard. Chalupa Batman. Makes our dog's name seem boring, doesn't it? Yup, totally. Ken spends his evenings playing walkabout mini golf and cheering on Philadelphia sports. Ken firmly believes Pink Floyd, Irish Risky, and a Monte Cristo cigar are the only muses necessary. He's a native of New Jersey and currently resides in Northern Virginia. His website is going to be available in the show notes. From July 11th to August 5th, 2022, See You Next Tuesday is on tour with Partners in Crime. Check out the tour link for more content information. And now I'm going to give you my review. So, obviously, this is a private investigator story, and it's a grifter story, which means it's a heist, not a heist, but a theft. Um, The dynamic team of Steve Rockfish and Johnny McGee tackle the first case as full partners. You already got that. A line from later in the book gives you the perfect synopsis. So it's a simple cheating husband case that turns into a search and rescue, cult exfiltration, and a wild ride that comes back to two old guys getting ripped off. Yeah, digest that a little bit. I'm going to read it again. Simple cheating husband case turns into search and rescue, cult exfiltration, and a wild ride that all comes back to Iggy and Matt. See you next Tuesday on a five-point scale. I give it a five versus a perfect PI story. Strengths of the story? Um, By now you all know that I'm hell on logic and Harris lives up to my bar. The actors of all the characters made sense for who they were. Rockfish and McGee drive their story, and they do a really good job of interfering with the bad guys' plans, and then the bad guys react. That totally changes the the pace of the, not the pace of the story, but the direction of the story. And it creates both unexpected twists, and yet is totally reasonable given the change in circumstances. Harris thoroughly developed his story, giving his detectives material to work with, and he worked them into a corner a time or two, and, and he let them fight their way out. Like both lead characters, Rockfish is older and has the mindset and habits that reflect those of us born in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Johnny is his counterbalance, more like Jack here, rooted in modern times with 
technology mindset and vernacular. There's a pretty funny. Keep in mind, I'm not a black lesbian vegan. You're so not. That is that is an important thing to remember. The difference between <laughs> Jack here, Jack and Johnny, and McGee. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, you're right. Totally the same. <laughs> well, either character could have been stereotypical. Harris did a really good job. Uh, neither of them are. And what really makes them work is the mutual respect that they have for each other. And we saw that even in the first chapter. Where the story fell short of ideal? Um, there's not a lot. The first half of the story alternates in points of view between Rockfish and Johnny. Again, we saw that in the first chapter. As the story progresses, we get scenes that are written from other characters' point of view, uh, including their confidential informant and later the bad guys. The information the reader gains here could not have come from Rockfish or Johnny. Often, I'm not a fan of that storytelling style uh, changing mid-book, but Harris did it really well. And the point of view changes were the reason that the logic stood up. Um, there were a few stylistic elements that were not my favorite, but those were certainly my personal preferences. And there were some minor editing misses, but nothing that detracted from the story. I think you got into it there, because you're, you're really piping in that you think Rockfish's father is going to kick it. This is <laughs> It was just like, again, I like to play these stories a little more than I probably should. But it seems so stereotypical, like, oh, he's about to die. It was like, all right, I'll see you later. I yelled that, my bad. <laughs> anyway, he said stuff like, I'll, I'll see you later. And normally you hear that and it's like, haha, no, you won't. You know, I'm, I'm going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. But I will read say chapter this is, two to find out. This is not a murder mystery. It is a grift story. So Mac and... and Shh. Ma, don't ruin it. I don't want to ruin read it. Read chapter two to find out, guys. Read chapter two. Buy Ken Harris's book. Read chapter two. Read chapter three. Read all the chapters. And when you get to the end, you're going to think it's some pretty cool shit. Yep. So sorry for the glitch. Man, we have to fix your computer. That's the second time in a row we've had computer problems. So. Well, to be fair, the first one, the time that it was actually technology-wise, it was just because I loaded it onto my computer, not the hard drive. And the computer apparently doesn't have enough space on it. The hard drive oh. has like a terabyte and a half. Oh, so we got to start fixing that. Yep, that one was just on my bad. And the second one, the dogs went insane. I don't know if I explained that. Yeah, we have four dogs. And they were being really nice and quiet. And then they all went mental at the same time. So, thank you everyone for listening. And check out Ken Harris's story. And uh, we'll see you back here next week for our regular podcast. And then uh, we have a few more bonuses coming up for you, too. So, Jack, why don't you take us out? Nice.